before we start in 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 uh, Third John, we're going to open our Bibles to First Timothy chapter two. Again, I guess what I want to do is to show the reason why we have to study our Bibles. It should be pretty evident, but. Uh, Correct doctrine leads to correct practice. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, I exhort... What's the word exhort? Talking to a brother, Tony. He says, I'm an exhorter. I'm not an expositor. What's the difference between exhorter and expositor? Well, an exhorter is one tells you get up and get going. And an expositor is one that tells you actually how to do things. Okay? Tonight's a prayer meeting, right? Amen? amen. You're not going to be accused of being Pentecostal, brother, for uh, saying amen. Okay? So he says, I exhort, therefore, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Could somebody get up on their feet in one minute and just give me the list? One, two, three, four. What, what does what does supplication mean? What does prayer mean? What does intercession mean? What does giving of thanks mean? Well, we'll probably have to sort of go at the back of the list, giving of thanks. I know what that means. Okay? What is supplication? In El Salvador, where I used to live, they have a noche de, clamo, de clamar. Okay? What does that mean? A night of calling out to God like people that are in desperate need crying out to God. Did we have any of that here tonight? I'm not criticizing. I'm, I'm just... Here, here's a verse I exhort. So he's telling us what to do. First of all, I want you crying out to God. What are the greatest needs? If, if we had to take this list up here that we had, if we had to take the five greatest needs on that list, what are they? Could anybody tell me now that you can't see them? Because sometimes... Like in Ladner, we, we have a thing like this here, and it's a whiteboard, and people go up and write down things on the board, right? But, but, but you know, I, we say, well, we want to save some time, so one brother will get in, and he'll just start writing stuff by, by memory, and really, it's not the burden on our heart, is it? So this is what we're talking about, this here idea of supplication, okay? And then the second thing is prayer. Well, this is the idea of communication with God, a husband talking to his wife, discussing the affairs of the day. And you do that when you come before God. Usually that's more of a private thing, isn't it? You're not going to tell him about having that fight with your boss here in front of the assembly, are you? You're going to say, well, you know, why, why was he treating me like that? These are personal things we're dealing with. So, so this is the purpose why we study. And then the intercession, we're doing some intercession tonight, even if we didn't hear the vocal ones, the ones who were expressed. I hope all the people who are sitting here that weren't being vocal, that weren't expressing, that weren't praying out loud, I hope you were praying silently in your heart. Because the sisters can't get up. Man, uh, some of the brothers said be pretty up fast on their feet next time if one of the sisters get up, wouldn't they? Yeah. So, you know, these are practical things. We're, we're, you know, there's a brother over in, in Cupertino, California. Some of the Spanish people would know who he is, Pedro Dillon. He's a guy about 80 years of age. We were down at the mall, and they're having a, something they call God Talk. They put a booth there and some Christian books and tracts and stuff like that. He's 80 years old, and you know what he does? He comes to me, he said, Wayne, he said, 
How could we make that better? 80 years old. Man, I'm happy that they're doing something. And he's saying, yeah, that's pretty good, but how could we do it better? I'm really impressed by the activities in this assembly. We're down at the football field the other night, or soccer for some of you, but I learned that as football. And, and people are, are bringing their friends out, and we have an opportunity to preach. Like, I've never preached that many people all at once. It was thrilling. I really appreciate the work that's going on here to see this many people at a prayer meeting. But, but again, the reason why we're having this idea of a Bible study to understand what supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So that's something to, for you to do your homework on. Okay, uh, I want to look at Third John. We read it last week. I'll read it again. The elder... First of all, the way I broke it up, verses 1 to 8 is a man who was rendering hospitality. Remember I mentioned last week, I said there were four different men in this book. There was Gaius, there was Diotrephes, and there was Demetrius, and there was the elder. I got uh, taken aside and uh, raked over the coals for saying his name was John. No, I wasn't raked over the coals. But I... I want to just sort of point one thing out. I remember reading a book. I didn't read the book. I saw the book. And it was a book about this big, you know, about, about this big. Did Matthew write the gospel by Matthew? Now, would you read a book like that? I wouldn't read a book like that. I just believe Matthew read it. And I would study to see what Matthew said to us. Okay, the letter to John. We know that John wrote the book. And we know that... Uh, There's three different people in here besides the elder, and the elder is mentioned two different times. So, so most Bible commentators would bring it forth as being John, but again, uh, I just mentioned that last week as, as being John. I couldn't say, if I had to put my money on it, I wouldn't say, okay, that's John, but I think it's John, okay? Just like I think probably Paul wrote uh, Hebrews, but I wouldn't put, put any money on that. To me, it doesn't matter whether Apollos wrote uh, Hebrews or, or Paul wrote Hebrews. The important thing is that we're going to look at the text. Uh, last year, I had the privilege of going with Brother Tim. We went up to a fly fishing camp. Now, that sounds a strange idea, but they teach kids how to go fly fishing and, and uh, instead of drowning worms, so they're, they're really, uh, you know, like uh, pro-life or so on. They're not drowning worms. They take a, a piece of thread and they tie it onto a thing. It looks pretty and they try to catch fish like that. Anyway, when, when we were at the fly fishing camp, the men would get up and we would have a Bible study at 6.30 every morning. You know, I don't know how many people like to get up at 6.30 every morning and, and, you know, and we sort of wind our way down and hope there's hot coffee there. And, uh, you know, the first day of Bible study, it was terrible. The guy, he was well prepared. But you know what? Most of the people weren't prepared. Well, the reason I, they, they, most of us didn't know what we're going to be studying. Okay, so the second day, I said, well, I don't like to be in a Bible study like that. So we were, we were in the book of, uh, I think we're in the book of Ruth the first year. So I took, okay, there's 12 verses in the chapter. It wasn't Ruth, what was it the, in, in the Bible study? Anyway, there was like four chapters. So I went through, okay, wrote down 1 to 16 because there was 16 verses. And I looked at verse 1. What's the main thought in that verse? 
What's the main thought in verse 2? What's the main thought in verse 3? And at the end, I had 16 different things written down on my piece of paper. So when they said, okay, brother, what do you think of verse 6? Then I had something there. And that's the biggest part of Bible study is trying to see what we have here. So, so let's look at these verses. Okay, first of all, verse 1, we're just going to go through them one at a time rather than read them through. Okay? So, the elder to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So, the thing we pointed out last week is that someone loved someone. So, you have a lover and you have the one that's loved. You know, and I mentioned last week, you know, first of all, you have God's love. Whenever you see that key word, loved. So, that's God is loving someone. And then in, in, in the, the second part of the verse, there's a reason for his love. So look at that. The elder to the well-beloved, whom I love in the truth. So who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Or the information that we have from God is something that we can trust. It is impossible for God to lie. That's what it says. So we know when we're reading God's word is something that we can trust. Verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, this is a very controversial verse. If you go to a Pentecostal church, they would say to you, Listen, God wants you to be driving a Mercedes-Benz or Rolls-Royce or Lamborghini. That's what God wants. God wants you to have a fancy house and a big boat and all the blessings like the preacher has. And But the first thing you have to do is send your tithes and offerings to me. That's what he's saying. Okay, so he's going to make sure he has the, the big boat and the big house and everything because he's asking for us to do it to him. But, you know, when we look at Gaius, I wish, that's, that's, that's the elder's desire for him, that you may prosper and be in health. So it sounds like he wasn't prospering, and it sounds like he wasn't in good health because the elder, I'll use the name John, John was praying that he would be prospering, even as your soul prospers. So what does that tell us? He had a prosperous soul. If I went up and put up your hands, everybody that has a prosperous soul, everybody that's really doing good spiritually, you know, remember that, that story in, in uh, the, the letter to the seven churches and the, and the story to the letter to Laodicea? You know, he talks about, I wish that you were hot or cold. Okay? If I put up, if I said to you, okay, put up your hand if you're hot, if you're spiritually, you're on fire for God. Some of you would be ashamed, or not ashamed, a little bit afraid because somebody would look over at you. You're not on fire. You call that on fire? You know, so, you, so you'd be afraid to put your hand up. And then if you said, well, are you cold? No, I'm sort of pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm at all the meetings, you know. Well, how would you place yourself? You're not hot and you're not cold. You're what? Lukewarm. So it's pretty strange, isn't it? You know, I guess if somebody is cold, then they realize they have to get hot. They realize they have a problem, but if there's somewhere in the middle there, so, so again, we have to sort of think what we're, what we're reading. So is God talking to you this evening about this? Verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. 
So what was happening here? Can you see something? What's the key word? Testify. I rejoiced because the brethren came and testified. They were witnesses to your walking in the truth. So I want you to, as you look at this, we see John's approval of this man because he's walking in the truth. And and then we see his watch, his walk matched his talk. Can you see that? That's what the people said. We see that you're, we hear that you're walking in the truth and now we even know that you're doing it. In verse 4, we see the progression. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Those of us that have children, you know, I always hear people, people always come up to me and say, you know, I really like your kids. Your kids are nice. And, and I said, listen, I'll be happy when I see them at 20 years old walking in the truth. It's one thing if Christy Amanda, she's just turned 11 years old, my little girl, she turned 11 years old. Most 11-year-old girls are sort of nice, aren't they? They're sweet and kind. But, you know, wait till they turn 21. Are they carrying their Bible? They say, I want to be at prayer meeting tonight. The reason why she comes to prayer meeting now is because I say, okay, hurry up and finish up your supper and get in the car and off we go. You know, so it's nice. I look around and I see single girls here and I see them at the prayer meeting. And that causes me to rejoice. That caused John to rejoice. Verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatsoever you do to the brethren and to the strangers, which verse 6 will include because it's all one sentence, which have borne witness or have given testimony to your charity. Remember I spoke about that word last week? Charity. Well, charity is, you know, uh, Tim and I, we were down at, at, a, at a second-hand store and basically people donate all this stuff, faith farms. So people donate this stuff and they turn around and sell it and hopefully they're using the money to help the poor because that's what they're saying on, their, on the side of their building. I was noticing that they're supposed to be helping. Could you imagine if you heard about... Uh, they're taking all this here money, and then there was a big scandal that they were having all these, uh, you know, riotous, adulterous parties and so on. Do you think people are going to start keep on giving money to them? You say, no. You know, so all of a sudden, as we're reading this portion, it should apply to you and I. It says, which have borne witness of your love for your charity. Charity is love and action. Okay. Whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, you shall do well. Now I want to sort of back up a little bit here. What was the first thing we learned about Gaius back in verse 2? He says, I wish that you may prosper and be in health. So he wasn't prospering. But when you read verse 5, he says... Whatsoever you do to the brethren and to the strangers, which have bore witness of your love before the church. So Gaius was helping the people, even though he wasn't prosperous. You know, a lot of people say, well, when I get more money, when I get a new job, then I'll start giving more of my income to the Lord's work. But right now, I can't afford to. The most I can afford to give is $5 a week. 
I can only give $20 a month because that's all I can afford. Now, probably not very often people come up here and say, well, listen, brothers and sisters, what are you giving to the Lord? Because that's not the way our assemblies work. We're not asking for money for ourselves. But listen, you have an obligation, your relationship with God. And when you read First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, it talks about as God has prospered you, you give back to Him. What do you do? Do you just take the money out of your wallet and you throw it up in the air and what, whatever God doesn't grab onto, you keep for yourself? Some people like that idea. You know, there's a verse in Psalm 16, and I was just reading that a little while ago, and all of a sudden the commentator, or no, no, the new translations actually don't say the same thing as the old King James. So I spent a lot of time looking at it. Psalm 16 and 2. He says, My goodness extends not to you, but to the saints that are in the earth. Okay? So what is he saying? Well, I can't give God my money, so how do I bless God? By blessing His people, by blessing the less fortunate than us. So there's a, there's a verse, Psalm 16 and 2. You can look at it in the new, the new translations and you'll find it a little bit uh, confusing. I think I'm going to need some water again tonight. If somebody could give me a glass, please. Okay. So verse... Okay, so, so here's what I want to say. In the book of, I think it's Ephesians... I was looking for it and couldn't find it. Uh, but Paul says, I would that your love would abound more and more. And that's why I was thinking of Pedro Dillon. When he saw that gospel booth called God Talk, he said, how could we make that better? Well, how would our Bible study become better? How would our prayer meeting become better? How would our witnessing become better? As we look at all aspects of our Christian life and our Christian assembly, how would each thing improve? Okay, thank you. Could you read that out, please? So, so that was Paul's prayer for the church. Isn't that an awesome prayer? Do you pray for, pray that kind of blessing on your brothers and sisters? That, that's a real encouragement. You know, I, I was telling you about last week about my friend that has cancer, you know, and, uh, some people have really encouraged him in this cancer, and other people have really discouraged him. You know, some people, you know, well, you know, I had my uncle that he just died and this grandfather he just died, you know, and not much hope left for you, you know. You know, wouldn't it be nice to come along and open up the scriptures and say, Brother, I was really enjoying this today and and give someone a spiritual lift. And that's what the that's what Paul was desiring for the Ephesians, that their love would abound more and more. That God would use yes, you're going through this trial, but that God would see people brought to Christ because of what you're going through. That would give him joy. That that all of a sudden one of the nurses says, Oh, thank you. Now I know. Remember that young girl Clara that we met in the in the phone store? She says, I learned something today. She was rejoicing that 
she learned how to go to heaven. If that's all, if that's all she learned this week, wow, what, what an encouraging thing that is. Verse 8, Therefore we ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Oh, verse 7, They took nothing because that for his namesake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to help to receive such who might be fellow helpers to the truth. So the Lord's servants aren't beggars and they don't depend on unbelievers. They, as of, those of us that are serving the Lord, we're trusting God for supplying all of our need. So we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 quickly here. It says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among uh, them, receives us not. So the first thing we learned about Diotrephes, he was a prominent fellow in the church. He loved fellowship, he loved preeminence, and he prevented fellowship. He didn't let other people into the church. In verse 10, we see his words. They were slanderous. It says they were prating against us. That's a word I haven't used in the last 10 years. And they were malicious words. And neither did he receive the brethren, and he forbid them that would. But you know what I see here? When I see Diotrephes, I see Gaius. Why? Because Gaius was working in this church, and he was receiving the brothers and sisters. The church gave testimony. So he was living... Gaius was living in a very difficult situation, but yet he was serving God still. So I find that very encouraging, and that should be encouraging for each one of us. Despite the partisan attitude of diatrophies, God was uh, being manifested in the life of Gaius. And then the last section from 11 to 14, we have the man who received hospitality. Beloved, Follow not that which is evil, but follow that which is good. So we're told to imitate good, and then we're told to imitate God. But he that does good is of God. But he that does not evil has not seen God. So my whole idea in the beginning of this uh, study was to help people just sit down and study the Bible by yourself. Do you need a, do you need a, some preacher to come up here and stand before you so that you can understand the Word of God? Or do you think God, do you know what it says in John chapter 16? And He, the Spirit of truth, when He comes, He shall teach you half of the things, and the preacher the other half. He shall teach you all things. So God wants to minister to you but you have to be have an open heart. Sometimes you hear people and you say, how does that man get all that truth? I heard one guy said, I would give the world if I could preach like you could. Do you know what the preacher said? I did. I did. He gave up the world and he poured his heart into the book. And he spoke to God and God spoke to him, and God used him. Do you believe that God could use you in a home Bible study? You have to prepare. I don't know if you have open Bible studies here, but usually there's home Bible studies. There's opportunities 
where you can sit down with another half a dozen people and you can say, we're not going to study a book by Beth Moore. We're going to study a book called Ephesians or Philippians or Galatians and go through it. And then when somebody says something weird, the the rest of you say, well, is he right and all the rest of us are wrong? You know? And then if and then if he is right and all the rest of you are wrong, then you better make sure that he's right and all of you are wrong. You better study to show yourself approved unto God. And then Demetrius has a good report in verse 12 of all men and of the truth itself. And yea, we also bear record and you know that our record is true. Well, you know what I see? In, in this verse 12. Now look at verse 12 again and see if I'm making this up. Demetrius, what the world says about him. And then what the word says about him and what John's witness says about him. Let's look at that again. Demetrius has a good report of all men. So that's what the world says about him. How about if you... Talked, if you had, if you took a poll at your work, what kind of a guy is Tim? What kind of a guy is John? What kind of a guy is Ralph? Would everybody say, yeah, he's a good guy? Well, Demetrius has a good report of all men, of all, and of the truth itself. So the truth speaks of what God's word says it lines him up like a man of God. Do you ever use that word? Well, okay, we have a brother coming this Saturday to preach. Is he a man of God? In some churches where I was down in El Salvador, every second guy is a man of God. You know, when you come to the New Testament, Timothy is the only one that's called a man of God. In the Old Testament, there's very few people that are actually called Men of God, yes, Moses was a man of God and and uh, David was a man of God. But even them, we see the flaws and the failures. And then in verse 12, Yea, and we also bear record. So there's John's witness or John's testimony of Demetrius. And then verse 13, I had many things to write unto you, but I will not with ink and pen write to you. Sometimes one-word texts don't convey what you want to say. We were talking about that at supper time. How many texts do people send? They say young people send an average of 300 texts per day. 300. And, you know, you go on Facebook and you see, you know, my son's on there, so I want to make sure he's uh, been on the straight and narrow. So I look on his page, and here's a conversation. One word, one word, one word, one word, one word. And I'm thinking, how do these young people communicate like that? I have to write a sentence, you know, it's not worth it, writing one word, you know. So, you know, Paul, John here, or the elder here, wants to come and sit down and talk to them. How could you explain propitiation in one word? Could you do it? Not very well. 
See, some of these things are concepts that we have to explain. What is redemption? Then you give examples how someone was bought at the slave market of sin and they're set free. So what would their attitude be toward the person that bought them? It's going to be one of gratitude, one of thanksgiving. So when we were reading those verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I will first of all that supplications. How about the people last week in, in a couple of weeks ago in Vancouver Island, there was a, a, an earthquake just off the coast. So there was a tsunami warning. So they told the people, listen, there was an earthquake, hid for high ground. And it was even so bad that the people in Hawaii knew that the wave might be coming. Do you think there was any people praying that that wave would not turn into a tsunami? Do you think people were saying, Lord, please make this hurricane pass north of us or pass south of us, but don't, don't let it come in where we are? That's supplication. Do we, do we supplicate? Do we cry out to God in our prayer meetings? If that was your son that was unsaved, would you be crying out to him? Or would it be like, uh, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know? Gently we're drifting off to sleep. Verse 14, But I trust I shall come shortly to see you and shall speak face to face. So last week I, I gave you uh, seven different questions. Is there an example to follow? Now after looking at this passage, can you think of an example to follow? What was his name? Can't hear you. Gaius. And there was another example to follow. What was his name? Demetrius. Demetrius. Okay. Is there a sin to avoid? Give me another name. Diotrephes. Is there a promise to claim? That one's a little bit harder. I struggled with that one. And I was studying by myself. If you look down at verse 7, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. Verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So if you help if you received these people and sent them on their way, you were going to be fellow helpers. So there was a promise that God was going to bless you and call you someone is helping. Isn't it nice to be called a helper? Is there a command to obey? Well, look at verse 11. Follow not that which is evil. Well, it's a negative command. But that which is good. There's a positive command. Does it teach me anything about God and Christ? Not everything is going to teach you about God. It could teach you about the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is God. But it will show you different aspects. Well, verse, verse 11 says, He that does good is, it is of God. So we know that God does good. Verse 11. Does it is there a need to pray for? That's the sixth question. Is there a need to pray for? Well, I believe the need to pray for, we need wisdom 
to deal with domineering and self-seeking persons like Diotrephes. Remember I said Gaius, even though Diotrephes was trying to shut everybody out and not let anybody else receive them, Gaius was receiving them. And then number seven, is there a difficulty to explore? I find that in verse two, some teach in in verse two that God wants us all to be economically prosperous. And like I say, the problem is with this teaching is it originates in North America and especially right here in the United States where we have an abundance of things. You, if you don't believe we have an abundance of things, go down to that uh, thrift store, that uh, far, faith farm, and you'll see all the stuff that has been discarded. And I'm saying, wow, look at that. Bicycles cheap and stereos and you name it, it was down there. It was Beautiful stuff for really cheap. People are giving it away. And people in El Salvador, people in Guatemala, people in India, they live at the poverty line, below the poverty line, even for their country. You know, in El Salvador, do you know how much a, a worker gets, a construction worker? Six dollars a day. Not an hour, six dollars a day. So next time you go into work and you're making ten bucks an hour, you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, you know, maybe you'll get 11 and 12 and 13 and you'll, you'll slide up, but we can pray to God and say, Lord, come into my life and help me and let me be a blessing to others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for opening up the scriptures. Father, we just pray for young men and young women, older brothers and sisters, because we're not on the shelf yet. Lord, you still have a great work for each one of us to do if we are available. So, Father, we just pray that as we seek to serve you, Lord, that you would help us see opportunities. Father, I'm thankful for the brothers and sisters here. I'm thankful even for working with Tim and seeing him, how he, how he just sees the great need. He sees people that are lost for being lost. Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity you've given me to to minister here and, and uh, even to speak to these Spanish people the other night. It was a blessing to see your people here reaching out. It's a big commitment being available every Monday night and, and uh, driving people and picking people up and staying after and making sure everything's closed up. Father, we're thankful that this is a church that is serving you. But we even pray, as Paul prayed for the Philippians, that they may abound in love even more and more. We give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.